been at that. I believe this is our fourth week, and uh, we've been learning some things. The Lord's been helping us, and I want to just read uh, chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. If somebody could read that for me uh, before we begin. Brother Mark Hamilton. Chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. Okay, just to start with it. Builds the tabernacle, why he wants a tabernacle built, and Okay, he wants with people. Uh, the people, and that's why he builds this tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, we see principles uh, that today that have to do with God dwelling in our lives. Now, if God wanted, if God wanted to uh, dwell with us, what's the significance of God? coming and dwelling in a tent rather than a temple or some in some uh, shrine somewhere what's the significance that uh, there is in God dwelling in a tent brother rod okay good any other thoughts on that Brother Reese? Okay, good. Anybody else? Brother Sam? Excellent. That I don't know if that came out before, but that's an excellent thought. Uh, that uh, uh, here you have an idol, uh, an idolatry where the focus is on a as on an image, on a statue, on a picture, or some other thing. And what we have with God dwelling in a tent is that God is identified as a person. That God is not some uh, impersonal force, but God Himself is a person, and He wants His people to know that He is a person with personality. Amen. Good thoughts. Anybody else? Before we move on. Brother Victor? Okay. Amen. He's not a God that's, that's looking down and saying, uh, you just try and get up to me. Uh, do what you can. He's a God that came down and visited us. And what's the, uh, what's the full culmination of this revelation, uh, of God coming and uh, dwelling with man? Jesus. And it says, uh, and, uh, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we look at the significance. If this was a, a, a heathen or someone looking to find out what God was about, he looks and uh, beholds the vastness of the universe, the creation, all the things that are there. He's concerned. He's hungry for God. He feels an empty place 
in his heart, he comes and he sees that the God of Israel is not one that, that is mysterious, that cannot be known, but a God that is willing to dwell with man. Okay, where uh, in relationship to the whole uh, congregation or the relationship to the whole camp, where was the tabernacle placed? Okay, it was placed right in uh, the center. And what are... Whoops. Sorry. What are two reasons uh, that we came up with that why God wanted uh, His tabernacle in the center? Brother Noel? Okay. All right. We didn't say that before, but that's, uh, that's a good thought. He's equally accessible. I don't know if it's a, a, a whatever. Okay. Okay, he wanted to be the focal point of life. So that means that if we want to fulfill that principle that we need to just put our church right on the city plaza and it's the center of the city and so that fulfills the principle that, that the Bible's talking about here. And we see this in a number of cities that the church is right in the middle of the city and, and that's what this is talking about, right? Okay, excellent. And what's another reason? Why in the center? Joyce? Okay, the, we talked about the Bedouin chief that uh, in the culture that these people were familiar with, that he always was in the center, and that gave the picture of God as their king, as their lord, and uh, that central focus. Good. Excellent. Good thought. Brother? Okay. Here's the other thought, that the focus of their lives was seeing men reconciled to God, seeing the process of redemption take place, that God wanted central to the life of His people, seeing people reconciled to God. That as a people, their focus was on God and seeing people reconciled to God. Every morning, they'd wake up. Every day, they would watch and know that the heart of God was not just the, the bless me club, was not just the, uh, all the wonderful things that we can get from God, but the very center was to see men reconciled to God. And so that principle has not changed today. The center and the reason for, uh, for our existence is to see people reconciled to God. That's a central focus of our lives as believers. Okay, uh, just now quickly, uh, could somebody tell me what the uh, little description and the significance of the linen fence? Somebody have that. Description of, significance of the linen fence. Kathy? Okay, so we have uh, uh, a fence that is white linen. It's held up by posts, and uh, these posts, uh, we talked about how they represented Jesus. But this white linen was a, a picture of righteousness. And so our problem in relating to God is not uh, that we dwell in a different dimension. Our problem is not that we simply 
do not know enough. Our problem is, is not one of uh, visibility and invisibility. The separation between us and God is a moral separation. That when someone hears God, he's come to dwell, yes, he's come to dwell. But when we go to approach, we find out that there is a barrier. And that barrier is righteousness, and that must be dealt with. And that is, what is our, what is the provision that God gave to Israel so they could have access? Okay. There's a gate. And uh, can we have some description on that? Does anybody remember uh, what that's made of? Okay. <laughs> okay, blue, purple, scarlet, and again, the white linen. And we talked about a number of things that this could represent, but basically we're talking about uh, deity, we're talking about royalty, uh, we're talking about man, or and with the thought also of atonement, and again, the thought of righteousness. So this... This, uh, this gate that we can enter into, there's only one gate, there's only one access, there's no other way, and it is through this gate that is a man, a righteous man who is king and who is also God. That's the picture and that's the, the uh, evidence that we see and the fulfillment of that obviously is that there's only one way to the presence of God, to the relationship with God, and that is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. Okay, we want to move on and uh, uh, talk about some things that uh, we didn't get to. Uh, our first thought there was we talked about receiving that righteousness, when we enter in, then we are become surrounded by this righteousness. Secondly, let's look at the requirement of righteousness or what we need to do to get this righteousness. If we, our problem with God is uh, righteousness versus unrighteousness. But when we enter the gate, then we are clothed with God's righteousness uh, and we can, uh, uh, we can now have relationship uh, and fellowship with God. And so the requirement for righteousness, how do we, how do we experience that? How does the, how did the early, uh, how did these people in the time of the tabernacle, how did they become surrounded by the righteousness of God? How did they come to a place that they could have relationship with God? Now, if you get too smart, you'll lose it. Really simple. Okay, not just yet. That's next week. You're getting ahead of us, but that's, that's excellent. How, how is someone supposed to 
become in that righteousness? Okay. He had to enter. Okay, now that sounds like that is uh, uh, just uh, uh, too simple of a point, but it's really important for us to understand that it's not good enough just to have a gate there, just to have the, the access available. It is only when we enter, only when we uh, actually enter into that gate do we experience this relationship with God. Let's look at some scriptures. John 7, 17. Someone, uh, Ken Herman, Ben Manzanares, Matthew 7, 21, and Luke 7, 30, Ron Stewart. This was a beautiful gate, but you and I would not be saved by simply admiring what a beautiful gate that was. Oh, isn't that a beautiful gate? Look at the purple and the scarlet and the, and the blue and the fine needlework. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And that's glorious. Uh, there's no salvation in simply saying that. There's no salvation in simply saying, Oh, yes, Jesus was wonderful. Oh, yes, He was the Son of God. <coughs> he died for our sins and He rose from the dead. Yes, I believe all that. That's true. See, just admiring Jesus won't save you. Just admiring what Jesus did won't save you. There needs to be an entering in. You need to enter. There needs to be an act of your will to enter. Okay, John 7:17. Okay, it's, uh, it involves a doing and entering in. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Excellent. He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Luke 7, 30. Okay. Here are the people who did not enter in. They rejected the counsel. They rejected the will of God for their lives, not being baptized by John. Okay, and so uh, even if we say, yes, that, that is the, Jesus is the only way. That's the only gate. I see that. There's no other way in. We still haven't come into relationship with God. It's going to require for you and I and entering. We can talk about it with other people. We can get together and have uh, uh, fellowships and talk about uh, how beautiful the gate is uh, and how, uh, uh, how people have gone into that gate. And when they went into that gate, their lives were changed and uh, they had wonderful experience. But that still doesn't get us saved. It's only by entering in. This morning, do what you believe in your mind may not be what you have acted on by your will. Tonight you might today believe all that is true about Jesus Christ, but have you entered in? Have you taken the step and entered in? Praise the Lord. See, salvation comes when you enter through the gate, when you personally enter through the gate, when your whole person is submitted to God's plan. And so the requirement is simply that we enter. Now let's look, secondly, at the responsibility of this righteousness. I believe that's... No, that's the results. Responsibility is next. Sorry. 
the results. What are the results of that righteousness? See, if we are going to experience this salvation, all right, if we're going to experience being clothed with the righteousness of God, coming and having access and fellowship with God, we're not going to be able to do that by just pulling aside the gate and peeking in and say, wow, far out, that's wonderful. Uh, trying to jump up and, and, and see over the top, uh, that's not going to cause us to experience uh, God's righteousness. The only way that we're going to a be able to do that, uh, well, you tell me, how? Okay, like our sister said, this talks about our lives submitted to the will of God. And if any Israelite was going to experience that, it wasn't going to be by peeking in. It wasn't going to be by lifting up and looking under. It wasn't going to be by standing on top of his donkey and, and peeking over. The only way that he was going to be able to do that was to walk in entirely his whole life. Just say, okay, I, I walk through with my whole, my body, my soul, my spirit, everything within me. Right now, I walk through and I give my whole life to God. See, this is what needs to happen when we get saved. It's not we just skip putting our toe in and checking out the water and, and uh, expecting that that's going to be the thing that, that's going to save us. But when we come to Jesus, uh, the, the act of our will that, uh, that caused us to, to experience salvation is when we say, God, I give you my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. That's not just uh, some words from a, from a prayer in the back of a track. That's reality. My Lord. My whole self. See, if it was simply knowledge about the gate, if that's all that mattered, then then all the Israelites, they would have been just fine just sitting at home in their tents. It was just knowledge about Jesus or just an intellectual ascent about Jesus. We'd have uh, uh, billions of people that are saved. But the problem is, is that not everyone has entered in entirely, has not by an act of their will and by faith uh, totally given their lives to Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 16 and 17. Someone back here. Dave Burke. Okay. See, to go through that gate means facing the reality, first of all, of, of that separation. That God is righteous and I cannot have fellowship with Him. I cannot because of my unrighteousness. My only hope, my only hope for having fellowship with God is this gate. This person, this Jesus of Nazareth. And it's only by my entering in, by my surrendering my will, that I'm going to experience that. Not enough just to believe it. Not enough to just know that it's there. It's going to take a, an entering in. Matthew 28, 16 and 17. Okay, here's an interesting scripture. Here are people that see the resurrected Lord. 
They see the nail scars on his hands and in his feet. They see him right before them. He's risen from the dead. They knew he was dead. They knew he was buried. And yet some doubted. What, they, they didn't, weren't in possession of all the facts? What, it, it just wasn't real? No, there needed to come a decision where they lived the rest of their lives in light of that resurrected Lord that lived in front of them. See, that's the, that's the thing that God's asking us to do. When we're just talking about repenting and believing the gospel, when it's talking about putting our faith in Jesus Christ, where it's not simply a, a reciting a prayer, it's not simply just speaking some words. Those words are to have some meaning, which says, right now, Jesus, I give you my life, and I surrender my will to you. See, salvation only comes when we face the reality that we are sinners, that God is holy, and that He has made one way and one way alone, and that is through Jesus Christ. One way, just uh, not merely to the exclusion of other religions, but also one way to the exclusion of anything that you and I might do in our own strength or in our own ability. See, would, doctrinally, we would say, oh yeah, well, Jesus is the only way, but in experience, uh, we somehow feel like we've got some other way to go around, some other way to bring it to pass. See, let's find some other scriptures. Romans 10, 1 through 4. Someone over on this side. Dave Cassio. Uh, ben Manzanares. Philippians 3, 3 through 9. Romans 12. Uh, Brian, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, Romans 10, 10. Uh, Steve and John Staples, uh, uh, Matthew 10, 32. Okay, it in, if we are going to experience this life, it's going to mean that we enter. And there are some results that come from that, and it has to do with how our entering in, what that entering in actually means. First of all, we need to understand that we need to enter in God's way, Romans 10, 1 through 4. Okay. Seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. What's the problem? What was the problem with the Jew? He said, I can do it myself. I can do it on the basis of my own righteousness. I don't need to submit to the righteousness of God. I don't need to go in God's way. In the back of their mind, I'm sure, was the tabernacle. I'm sure was that gate. And, uh, and the whole understanding was there, but there was a refusal to enter in that one gate, it requires our going in God's way. It requires uh, our facing the truth about ourselves. Philippians 3, 3 through 9. Okay, here is a man that uh, if anybody was going to be able to enter in simply by his own righteousness, then Paul was that man. I had zeal. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a, the tribe of Benjamin. He, uh, as to the law, blameless, he says. 
And yet he says, I count all those things but lost. They're all as dumb. That's the quality of the life that I lived. Because even in my own righteousness, uh, compared to the righteousness of God, my righteousness was simply filthy rags. And so I've submitted to God's righteousness, which comes by faith and faith alone. See, Paul was the man who was willing to make that, that uh, was willing to come to that understanding. And there's a lot that are far less righteous in the flesh uh, than he that feel that they can come to God on their own. Make themselves right with God by their own actions. Okay, it involves, as we said, our whole person. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Okay, and we have looked at that. That is talking about a surrender of, of our life, our whole person. Lastly, we're talking about something public. Public. Now, uh, up to this point, we're saying, yeah, that's, that's right, that's true. But right here, boy, the rubber begins to touch on to the asphalt. Uh, the rubber meets the road. We're talking about a public decision. Romans 10, 10. Okay, the vocal public decision. Uh, Matthew 10.32. Okay, so we're talking about a public decision. The gate was not a back door. The gate was not uh, uh, some little uh, uh, exit door uh, that... You know, if people, they weren't right with God, they weren't saved, they could sneak back and people looking around would sneak them in when nobody was looking and, and uh, they didn't say, well, we've got a little tent in the back. If you need to get right with God, then come into the little tent and we'll uh, work a little sacrifice here just specially for you. No, that was right smack dab front and center. See... Interesting principle that lines up with our, t our having altar calls is, uh, exists uh, back in the Old Testament too. See, if you're walking... Walking by, well, so-and-so needs to get saved. So-and-so is going to get his affairs right with God. And yet God, you say, well, that was embarrassing. That was a, that would make people know that they weren't saved, make people know that they weren't right with God, that there was sin in their life. Wouldn't that be embarrassing and humiliating? Well, no, it would be humbling. And for some reason, God made that a requirement. God said, you've got to come to the front door. You've got to come where everybody can see the decision that you are making. Brother Payson? Well, it, uh, we're, it involves a public decision. A public decision. Okay. We're, uh, they don't go to the gate and say, yeah, what, what are you here for? Well, I just need prayer. I'm, I, you know, I'm just having some struggles. I need prayer. 
Oh, what's that sh- sheep for? Well, this is my pet. I just... Uh, uh, <laughs> there had to be a public identification with our personal need for salvation. No, I, I just want to get closer to God. Tonight, some, many of you, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Many of you uh, want, would like prayer for your spiritual life. And you'd lift your hand and would you come with you? These people, they just want God. No, it was none of that. It was coming forward individually and identifying with their personal sin, with their need. Man walks to a gate with his goat or with his bullock. That was a very obvious thing. He was saying, I have sinned. I need salvation. And I'm doing that publicly. Matthew 18, 1 through 4. Can somebody find that for us? Uh, Dennis. Okay. See, it's a one thing to know the answer. It's one thing to know that Jesus is the way. It's one thing to know the four spiritual laws. And it's another thing to enter in and to enter in God's way. It's going to cost. It's going to cost you a public decision. It's going to cost you your pride. And if it hasn't cost you your pride, then I question your experience with God. Because the Bible says that he resisteth the proud and he giveth grace to the humble. And I don't know how you get saved unless God gives you grace. That is only when we humble our pride that we can be recipients of the grace of God. Okay, Matthew 18, 1 through 4. Okay. So it's going to cost you your pride. There's no way to enter the kingdom of God without humility. And if we make it easy for folks, we make it easy for folks to, to slip in the back room, or if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to make a decision, just fill out this card when you go home and send it back to us uh, and we'll send you literature. Or if you want to get just when everybody else leaves, if you want to stick around, you can talk to one of our counselors. And the pride remains resident. The pride remains established. I'm not saying that people never get saved in those circumstances. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about the principle that we need to function by is that we need to give people the opportunity to put their pride to the cross. And if we make it easier for them, then we do them a tremendous disservice. It means a public, pride-humbling decision. If you've prayed the sinner's prayer uh, in uh, you know somebody's living room or somebody's bedroom and far out, I believe that God's touched your life. But if you've never answered a public altar call, then you need to do that this morning. Do something for you. Did I see a hand? Amen. Amen. Okay, let's look at some other scriptures and then we'll uh, open some questions. We're just talking about uh, the understanding that you have to come and you have to come God's way. 1 Peter 1.22, Dave Cassio, Morgan Werte, Romans 2.8, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, Brother Tossing, and Ron Stewart, uh, 1 Peter 4.7. Will 
you obey? Will you come God's way? Or will you come your own way? Will you say, well, I'll pray the prayer, I'll, I'll do all that stuff, but I won't make a public decision. Will you say, well, I'm, I'm willing to, to believe this and this and that, but, I, but I'm not willing to enter in with my whole life. See, this is, these are the requirements. This is what God's asking. This isn't justification by works. This is uh, the, what God is asking us to do is to come to Him, repent of our sin, and put our faith in Him. And this is what that means. Not easy believism. This is what that involves. First Peter, Peter one twenty two. Okay, for that uh, entering in, for that sprinkling, there is going to require that we obey God's way. Uh, Romans two eight. Okay, for not obeying the truth, indignation and wrath. Second Thessalonians one eight. Flaming fire. First Peter four seventeen. Okay, excellent. Now before we go on, are there any comments or questions that you have on anything we've said, brother? Yeah, I, I believe that it, it's exactly that. We're talking about a doubt that's not uh, a problem of the mind, but it's a doubt that's a decision of the will. There's all kinds of million, uh, there's a million questions that you and I could have and we could spend the rest of our lives and all eternity trying to figure out every answer to every question. But the real problem that we have with God is not the, simply that we don't understand Him. It's that we, ha we are rebellious and we will not submit our will to Him. How many angels can you fit on the head of a pin? Until I can figure that out, I can't get saved. No, that's baloney. Can God make a rock too big that He can't pick it up? Until I get an answer to that question, I can't get saved. No, we're talking about a decision of your will. That you can be in possession of the facts that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead and by faith you can experience salvation. That's all you need to know. And at that moment, uh, then you need to make a decision and hang up the mind games, and hang up uh, the ways that you justify your own sin. And this doesn't just stop, by the way, after people get saved. They do the same. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure about evangelism. I don't know about this tithing thing. And we've got all kinds. Instead of just submitting and doing the will of God, we've got to do a doctoral dissertation on it before we can uh, believe what, do what God says. Sister? Amen. If any man will do his will, he will know the doctrine, whether it be of God or of myself. It's something we're talking about only happens when we do the will of God. Jeff? Amen. Okay, only one way. Any other questions? Questions about altar call. Why do we have altar call? That's a, that's a big thing these days. Uh -huh. 
Amen. There is that self-enthroned that's that the work isn't it? not that God doesn't hear, not that there might not be a touch, but there's something violated when someone uh, there's a grace that's not received if someone's going to remain in their pride. Randy. Amen. Our brother says that he prayed in the back room and just uh, felt that there was not a release until he answered an altar call and made a public decision. God giveth, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And if you and I are going to receive grace, then it's going to involve uh, a humbling of our pride. Amen. You're dismissed to the beginning church.